We're starting? Yeah. It's Are on. you sure? I'm positive. We're I'm positive. Kind of sure before. We're totally starting. Um, this is uh, this is a podcast. Are we making a podcast here? I think we're making a podcast. We, so we have this is the first time that we've actually had a live audience in a podcast, and one of them just left. So so if you heard the door close. <laughs> Because this is a podcast. Yeah. It's all about audio quality. It's some good, uh, what do they call it? Foley? Would you slam the door again, please? Yeah. Thanks, oh, there Chip. you go. Good job. Yeah. So, so Chip, Chip Manuel's here. Manuel, as we know him from uh, previous podcasts. His job is to periodically slam the door. <laughs> yeah. He's our Foley expert. So they call you know you know what that means right that's where they, like someone with a bunch of tinfoil like makes a fire noise you know we had we had actually we had foley at the <laughs> business meeting this year oh gosh of course we've talked I think we've talked about foley in the past I don't know it was my favorite part of the um, Universal Studios tour is when you go into the like backdraft room or whatever and you hear all the sound hey so Don this is food safety talk podcast and this is our special IAFP wrap up annual meeting where we actually do a podcast next to each other, which I have a story about, because I was going to say this as we were setting up, but when we do a podcast together, we never look at each other, which we've talked about on this, and it's, it's true, I'm not going to look at you. It's a little weird to look at time. you. Good, it's a good thing we're both sitting on the same side of the table. I know, I know, and um, we, uh, it is, it's actually was on purpose, so we could uh, do it correctly, and I wouldn't have to look in your eyes longingly. Um, but hey, so uh, so are you tired? Is that a weird question? Um, well, I I was tired. Actually, I was. I think I was. I think I was more tired on Sunday than I am now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I did go out uh, last night, but not as late as you. But I slept in a little bit, and I have a pretty pretty large cup of uh, Starbucks coffee. So I'm I'm doing all right. Is that a is it a flat white? Did you go Did you go all the no, the stuff I'm, you really like? I'm a I'm very uh, cheap when it comes to buying coffee, and so this is just a grande dark roast. Mm, that's okay, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's just the best coffee. It is. It is. But I had a uh, one grande triple vanilla non-fat latte uh, earlier this morning. My my favorite, and then my my post. I, we haven't had lunch. I haven't had lunch. Well, we should I'm we hungry. should yes, we should point out that I have had lunch. I am caffeinated. I also have a uh, water beverage. Ben has not had lunch. He has no caffeine and he has no water. Yep. Yeah, because, be awesome. because because he's that good. It's because uh, I'm that I'm that dedicated. Um, so so we've got some people here with us. We should we should introduce them and they should they should say like hi. Okay. While, while we're here, so, so, I, we, so they have to come like over to the. They got to come over to the, towards the microphones. But so so Chip Chip was our first. We've already made made a little mention of him because he slammed the door twice. Yeah, you've already heard him on the podcast yeah. slamming the door. And you heard him. It doesn't matter. You can pick just not both. Um, so uh, we are. This is Chip Chip Manuel. Who, Hello. Chip, you can move a little closer. <laughs> and then you can say hello again. Hello. <laughs> it's just weird sitting like right beside you, so close. I, well, too. I know. I, I, hey, I understand. Think about how weird it is for me. Um, At least you're not staring Don in the eye. That's true. That's true. So Chip's uh, one of the longtime listeners of the Food Safety Talk podcast. One of the um, uh, uh, colleague, uh, former former like student, but although I wasn't really. Uh, his advisor, but he was a student at the same time, and now he's a colleague uh, in the industry. Uh, yeah, just started in January. I work at Sealed Air Corporation doing uh, R&D microbiology for uh, everything packaging and sanitation. So good. Did good. you get Did you get their approval to be on the podcast today? No, I did not. <laughs> every, so. every anything I say in this podcast is uh, 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 mine only. <laughs> my 
No, oh, Chip, you're not allowed to leave yet. So what uh, we we're gonna go we're gonna go around. This is uh, it's like an interview, inter a little bit uh -huh. of an interview today. So no, you're not you're not done. So um, you you've been here since Saturday. Give us Friday. your since Friday. Yeah, yeah. Give us give We're, us your thoughts on uh, on St. Louis. Um, the well, honestly, this has been this has been the busiest IAFP I've ever had. This is my eighth one now, and um, I've been involved with some of the student judging, and uh, I've been running around like a chicken without a head. So, uh, honestly, this has been the busiest IAFP, and I haven't really had a chance to see much of the city. But uh, day one, we went out for some beers at a place called Four Hands, and really had a good time and. Uh, ate at the Mango restaurant that Don is very fond of, I know, and um, we had a good time there. So I've, I've enjoyed the city so far, yeah. I wish the weather was a little better, but, <laughs> well, what can you do? Right, well, and, uh, yeah, forehand. So Chip is, uh, for those of you who don't know, um, I've mentioned this already in the room, but he is my um, beer spiritual advisor. So anytime I'm somewhere that near beer that I've never had before, I yell at him across a room or if we're in line together, I make sure that I yell back and say, Chip, could you tell me what I should drink? And he has not led me astray. So that's, it's good. So you, I, I mean, I think you are the official beer expert of food safety talk. Um, I, you know, we can, we don't have t-shirts or anything for that or uh, even pins, but maybe we can get a ribbon for IAFP for you next year for that. I would, I would like that. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, what is your uh, your your go-to in Raleigh for oh, for beverage? Right. So my go-to in Raleigh for beverage right now is a place that's close to my home, and it's called Compass Rose, and they have an American saison that is spot on. That's that's the place. I take my dog and my kids to the brewery, um, and my dog, for the first like four or five times, would just like pee all over the floor. Um, and there he's, he seems to, he's gotten a little older and he's, he's better. Um, but, uh, it's a little embarrassing to try and clean up puppy pee at a brewery. Fortunately, it's like a big, uh, um, uh, cement kind of, kind of thing. Um, uh, floor. So yeah, but yeah, I'm all about, uh, Compass Rose, uh, American Saison. Good choice. Yes. I've been there and, uh, very much enjoy it. So. Excellent. Um, Cool. Okay. Well, we're gonna cycle out uh, Chip, and uh, and we got some more some more guests. And, so, and actually, while we while we while the next uh, guest uh, gets ready to be on the microphone, I want to say also a huge uh, shout out to Noro Nerd uh, on on Twitter, um, uh, who is live tweeting. So we we're, we're not very good at scheduling, and so one of the things that we did uh, is to schedule our podcast to coincide almost exactly with um, the, the the one probably really exciting event at IAFP, which is the raw milk debate. Um, but again, NeuroNerd very graciously agreed to uh, to live tweet it for us. And so um, uh, she uh, uh, she has uh, shared a couple things which I want to share with our audience. Uh, she writes here, questions from the audience to be submitted in writing and read by the moderator, probably to cut down on the screaming. Uh, <laughs> she said persistent disruptors will be asked to leave the room. And uh, so, uh, and then she's, and uh, apparently uh, Dr. Heckman, uh, who's my colleague from Rutgers University, he is a raw milk advocate, he's a soil scientist. Um, uh, he says that the raw milk debate today is where organic farming was 30 years ago. So we'll have, we'll continue to have breaking news from uh, NoroNerd um, as the podcast goes on. Live, live tweets. Um, thanks, thanks, Don. Um, our, so guest, guest number two, who is 
um, been described, and I guess self-described, but described by guest number three as a fangirl uh, <laughs> is joining us right now. And so hopefully hopefully that's okay. I think uh, I think that's what you'd, you'd mentioned. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, so it's uh, Alita. Yeah. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Yeah, you did. Yes. Yeah, Alita Sorensen. I coordinate the rapid response team for the Department of Agriculture. I am more than willing to call myself a podcast fangirl. Long-time listener, first-time stalker. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be providing the laugh track, probably, for the, for the podcast. But yeah, um, this is only my second IFP. I came last year as a travel award recipient. So I haven't been with, uh, with Department of Agri Agriculture too long, but um, it's, been, it's been awesome this year. Cool. Good time. Yeah. Good. So what? Uh, all right. So same question I asked uh, Chip. What do you? What's what's uh, been memorable about St. Louis beyond, of course, being on this podcast? So excluding this event. <laughs> um, oh gosh. I mean, this is a highlight. So I don't even know. Everything pales in comparison. But <laughs> uh, we. I mean, there have been some good talks. Or like the fermentation talk. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and something we're seeing a lot of in Minnesota, at least now, with our new cottage foods rule. Um, a lot of people are getting into fermentation, kimchi, and um, kombucha, and things like that. So I thought that was really interesting, uh, something I'll take home with me. Um, but otherwise, a lot of good food. We just went out and got some good barbecue, so I'm stuffed. Sorry, oh. I know you're hungry right now. <laughs> I totally wish you guys had brought some barbecue for me. I should have put it in an order. This Satters has let me down here. Um, so uh, awesome! So it's your second time. Last year you were uh, travel award, uh, travel scholarship award winner for, um, and I, I don't know exactly what the, t the title of those are, but it's to for state and local um, uh, regulators to attend IAFP. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. Well, I'm. It's glad I. Don and I have talked about this in, in other podcasts and maybe in person a few times. Um, you know, as, as both of us kind of work closely with uh, state and local regulators on processing and on um, you know, uh, um, environmental health specialists in uh, inspections and um, epidemiologists it's it's an area that that I really support and I think we, we both really value having more integration especially at this meeting which is you know traditionally if we go back 30 40 years it was really about um, food microbiologists and and it's, it's food safety is so much more than just traditional food microbiologists so we I really appreciate both you and guest number three um, being here and all the other folks that are uh, from that state and local regulatory uh, world because it, it matters. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, and we, we don't we don't all talk in monotone voices, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's, that's only, only the... Only the only ones of you that record podcasts yeah. talk in monotone voices. That is, I, I believe that is the federal regulators we're talking about. <laughs> one, one federal regulator. Well, Alita, thanks for, for, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And, and so one interesting uh, fun fact about Alita is that she is not on social media except for Snapchat, so we can't link to any uh, <laughs> any uh, accounts, but uh, we will link to the Minnesota Department of Agriculture Food Safety Rapid Response website uh, as an endorsement of uh, all the hard work that they do to keep our food supply safe. Thanks, thanks uh, for joining us. Now, guest number three. Um, he's a first time guest, first time guest on the podcast, long time listener, maybe goes back to the start, um, I think that that I only knew you, we only met because of the podcast, maybe. 
Like, I, I don't know if you got involved in IAFP before we started doing the podcast, but I don't, I, I only think of you as, uh, as someone who, uh, who I know through the social media is uh, uh, like uh, originally. I think it was the uh, social media task force, or the what is it, the audiovisual library task was. force? Formerly the audiovisual task, the club, the AV club yeah, uh, yeah. that we were in, and th that's right. And then, then you and I were uh, part of that uh, as co-chairs of the new media task force. New media, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. we were only members of. The, we were the only At members. At one point, of the <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Did we ever have other members? Well, Don showed up. I think I'm not sure if he was an official member, but uh, I just do that. I just show up at meetings. Like you were having a meeting earlier today, yeah. man, and I just showed up. He did, yeah. Just, just a lurker. I just walk by. I just walk, walk around and I look yeah. and see are there any cool people in there? Yeah. I'm gonna go hang out with them. Looking for a meeting. That's Don. That's Don Chapman. Well, I think it was he was a member because he was El Presidente at the time. Well, that's true. Right? Yeah. So that was you know he had to be there. Yeah. Um, well, thank you for having me. Well, no, thanks for for joining us, Brian Satters, uh, famed uh, baseball coach, softball coach, uh, from. Uh, I think Bethlehem, New York, yes. um, based on my uh, stocking of Facebook. Um, also, uh, Brian, in, I've, I, so I've driven through New York multiple times because, uh, as some folks know, I live my, or I live in North Carolina, but my family's all in Canada, and so I take the trek up a couple of times a year. And um, also, based on me stocking your Facebook, I think you have like a really nice pool in your backyard that yes. um, that I'm probably going to drop by. And you smoked a bunch of like ribs and chicken <laughs> and um and I, I look forward to i'll just let you know like the day before that we're going to come by i've got yeah. a couple of kids we'll bring our suits absolutely um, we got tents and everything you can even stay in the backyard you know what i would <laughs> that would be great that would that is the extent of my of my camping i would i would do that i'd do that we'll just show up at your house and we're always smoking something there so you're <laughs> always welcome <laughs> well speaking of which there is a there's a medical marijuana symposium earlier today uh, on food safety <laughs> um and we, in our New York State yeah. Department of Health, recently put a program in place for testing um, medical marijuana. Oh, hey, good, good stuff. And Excellent. they recruited a bunch of food safety microbiologists to go into that program. What, like a, like a sensory panel? Yeah, no, not exactly, <laughs> not exactly. But uh, at least the, you know, testing for uh, other uh, microbial contaminants that might be in the in the uh, product. So, oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, and so, Brian, you're with the New York Department of Agriculture, yep. but and is it just uh, Ag and markets? And markets, okay, yeah, good, good, good. Do you want? So I only know that because I have the web page up. Oh, good job, look at you, and it's his, his pictures there. He's such a handsome man. He is, he is. <laughs> um, so, what kind of what kind of stuff do you do uh, for Department of Ag and Markets in New York? Uh, so, I'm uh, I consider myself a molecular epidemiologist. I've worked with our rapid response team. Uh, I've also, I'm in, I'm in the laboratory in our agency, so I do uh, whole genome sequencing, pulse field gel electrophoresis for PulseNet, uh, and we've actually just gotten into doing some uh, DNA sequencing for fish speciation. So if, a, if, a, if you go to the fish market and they're selling fish that says mahi, uh, we can do a DNA test, sequencing test to determine if it's actually mahi or if it's some lesser species that might be cheaper, and they're just giving it to you as economic adulterant. So yeah. um, that's what I, where I'm in, and, and, and we do like outbreak investigations because of the sequencing and, and PFGE, so there's a lot of communication, coordination with other uh, federal state uh, agencies that cross different jurisdictional boundaries. Awesome. Well, great. Thanks, thanks, guys, for I mean, hanging out. This is uh, it's always exciting when, well, like Don and I have talked about before. We we do this podcast just because we like to hang out and see each other uh, virtually and talk to each other. But it's it's cool when when folks can come and join us and and hang out in the room. So uh, hopefully, uh, 
um, as we talk over the next little while, if there's something you want to talk about, you can just come back over. The microphones are right here. All right, thank you. Thanks, Brian. Like, like we say in all the sessions at IAFP, uh, this is being recorded, so please approach the microphone if you want to make a comment. Oh. Uh, and uh, in, in keeping with uh, uh, keeping with what's going on at IAFP, I, I have a couple of uh, things I want to share uh, in terms of breaking news um, regarding the raw milk debate. Um, uh, NoroNerd writes, Dr. Heckman seems to get really loud whenever he says the word raw or pure, now talking about pasteurizing breast milk. And then, and this is even better, we were just told about the proximity of the udder to the anus and that lettuce has no anus but still causes illnesses. Yeah, I heard there's um, someone just uh, texted me, <laughs> there's no anus on a plant. That's true. I don't know. So I don't know a lot about horticulture, but I believe that that's correct. It's, yes, I, I believe that the science would indicate that is also correct. Uh, so, so Don. Hi, Ben. What's going on? How are you? What's going on? Well, I wanted to I wanted to talk about a uh, little bit about food um, uh, since uh, we're here <laughs> we're here in St. Louis at yeah. the Food Safety Conference, and I just wanted to say uh, one of the places that I really enjoyed uh, eating while I was here is the uh, and I, I don't I don't I'm not a paid spokesman for uh, for um, uh, Sugar Fire Smokehouse, but uh, really good barbecue at the Sugar Fire Smokehouse. So uh, just a nice uh, shout out to them. Um, and uh, yeah, and so I'm really enjoying being here in St. Louis. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, it's, it's the end of the conference. The last day is always tough. I am looking forward to going home, but, uh, uh, but, but it's been great to be here. And, and, and you know, the food here in St. Louis is fantastic. Uh, the people have been great. It's just been a great, great conference. It's yeah, I, I agree. I've really enjoyed the city. I have. I, I don't know if we've talked about this so much in the past, but I, 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 I underwhelmed St. Louis in my mind before I got here. Um, when I when we had the meeting in Columbus, I had the exact same feelings about that, where it's like, eh, who goes to Columbus? Who goes to St. Louis for things to do? And um, it was uh, it has exceeded my expectations for, on a, a few fronts. We already talked a little bit about beer, but do you know there's Tim Hortons here? I saw a Tim Hortons yeah. when I was walking around. Yeah, yeah there's I like thought of you. There's there's literal Tim Hortons. So Tim Hortons was great. The Schlafly Brewery that I've had was pretty pretty good. Food we had a nice uh, outing lab function there um, with uh, the chip attended with us with uh, my lab and Leanne Jacobs's lab and Renee Boyer's lab and we had a good good time. And then as Chip mentioned, Four Hands beer has been like over the top good. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed the, the beer and food here um, as well. And, and while we're talking about drinking uh, and IAFP, we also have to give a huge shout out to the Crack Fox, uh, which is not a guy on the corner selling drugs, but is in fact uh, the, the name of a karaoke bar that's actually quite close to uh, uh, the convention center and the hotels. And there were a number of us uh, that went out. Uh, some of us, uh, all of us had drinks. Some, uh, not, not all of us had drinks. Some of us weren't drinking. Most of us were drinking. And some of us were singing. And it was uh, great fun. So. It, w it was. I, uh, um, every year. So you know, I, I, this, this meeting is, has a special, special part of my heart. I guess out of all the meetings, it's the one that I really like that I come to that I love the most. And um, every year, I you know, if I have a talk, I get kind of nervous about it because this is uh, you know when when we go do stuff in other places, it's not like all your peers in one spot. Um, and so I I do try to make sure that I am on point um, as much as possible um, in uh, when it comes to talks. But really, what I'm like overly nervous about when it comes to um, IFP is just making sure that my karaoke game is on. Um, and so, so last night I, I, I debuted a new song. 
um, that uh, I've been practicing for months. Uh, and, and so Mike Batts, Batts, who, who's also uh, participated on the podcast before, he, he and I have talked extensively over the last year about karaoke strategy. Um, and the strategy is don't sing something self-indulgent, sing something that everyone else will sing. So you have to be like really like purposeful about your songs. So, so this year I picked um, uh, Violent Femmes Blister in the Sun because it's one that's like easy, people seem to know it. And so uh, I don't know if it went over real well because I don't think I, uh, I sang very well, but it was uh, people, people who were listening seemed to be uh, also singing, so they'd like drown out your, your voice. Um, after you, so last little bit before we leave, or before I leave karaoke, is after you left Dawn, um, there was a group of students from Auburn University who, who like randomly showed up, sat down at the table beside us, and we started talking, and, and they were just there to watch karaoke, and we convinced them, we pushed them to say, look, you're here at IAFP, you're, you're supposed to do the karaoke if you're here, and we like shamed them into getting up on stage and singing Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, which was awesome. That's the best. It really was the best because the best. they, because that is another, like, I, it's not a song that I, that I can sing. I don't really know all the words, but the whole bar was screaming Don't Stop Believing, and I was like, that's it. You got, that, that is karaoke right there at its best. Yeah, and that is, that is a really good, uh, that is a really good karaoke strategy. And I have to say, too, I took uh, what was a pretty, I think, a pretty good picture of you uh, uh, singing Blister in the Sun, which is a great song. Uh, I, I got my, my picture-taking game, so my job at karaoke was to take <laughs> pictures, and my picture-taking uh, game got better as the night went on. Um, so it's not really an action pose of you, but you, if you look on Facebook uh, somewhere, you can see uh, my, my uh, uh, underexposed picture of Ben, or overexposed picture of Ben uh, singing Blister in the Sun. But uh, yeah, that's props to you for for picking that as a song that was a, that was a really good choice oh, thank you um i have to again i have to break in with breaking oh. news um because apparently um uh, my colleague joe heckman is quoting me uh during the raw milk debate which is never a good thing oh. uh, according to noro nerd uh, i am being quoted saying quote there is no way to guarantee the safety of any food uh, which I, is a quote that i will stand by um but that does not mean i am endorsing uh, raw milk but uh but there you go right right well it's a it's a, con a contextual quote right and, and and even better um uh, uh noro nerd provides commentary saying dr heckman sounds exactly like the guy on the street corner in the portlandia raw milk episode <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna link to that in show notes as well oh i um I, I want to move. We'll come back to, to raw milk. I, there, I have one more little item of like IAFP follow up. Um, and I, I forgot to bring. So I, we invited our. I, I told Don last night uh, during the student mixer that I think I invited like 40 students to come join us today. Um, but I'm sure they're watching the raw milk debate because it's much more exciting and they'll be able to listen to this later. Exactly. Um, but um, what? Yeah, I know, I know. But well, you, don't hey, worry. We'll be able, no, that's nothing here, against you. But wait, yeah. here's the thing. We'll be, you'll be able to listen to the raw milk debate later too, because everything here at IAFP is yeah. being recorded. And also, here's the deal: the people that showed up, we know where their priorities are. That's the boom. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> mic drop. Yes. Let let the record show, uh, because because podcasting is a theater of the mind. Uh, Brian right now is making a mic drop gesture with his hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, while trying hard not to laugh. I okay, so I wanted to I wanted to give a shout out to um, uh, a student from the University of Georgia who I met, who I invited here uh, with a couple of her colleagues to to join us. But it's possible that she didn't find the room because we are in a uh, sketchy part of the convention center. Um, anyway, her name's Lauren, and I can't remember her last name. But Lauren 
um, uh, gave me two things. Gave me a, a business card, which I loved, because it was a business card that says under grad, graduate research assistant under the direction of Mark Harrison. And it was awesome because it's like it's got you got Mark Harrison's name right on your card. Um, second second piece was that uh, Lauren told me that she wanted she wanted to thank you and I because as she was doing her, her uh, comprehensive or prelim exams, she listened to she just discovered our podcast three or four months ago and has listened to like all hundred episodes, it, which seems crazy. Um, but uh, she said that the stuff that she was listening to helped her in her exam because things like flour and I think Listeria and Frozen Foods came up. And so she said, oh, I heard about that on the podcast and was able to carry on a conversation um, about it uh, based on some of the stuff that we talked about. So I thought that was kind of cool. Oh, my gosh. Podcast, helping people pass prelim exams uh, since uh, 2016. It's, yeah, exactly. And just if you want to pass your prelims, just listen to like 100 episodes in three months. And there's no guarantee that listening to all the episodes will help you pass it. Correct. Yeah. Like it's – yeah. And it might – in fact, make it's possible that Lauren would have done better had she not listened to all of our podcasts. I, I, I don't, it's possible. I don't know. I, we don't. I, hey. I, I don't think we give out misinformation. We, are you saying we give out misinformation? No, no. N equals one. Okay. Um, so we want, we're 100 percent on helping students. Uh, <laughs> you, you know. You know what else is 100 percent? Just again, more breaking news from uh, from NeuroNerd. Uh, apparently, the pro pasteurization speaker is speaking. It's Dr. Jeff Kornacki who I don't know if he's a friend of the podcast, but uh, I do uh, know him in real life, and he might know me, I'm not sure. Um, but he says 100% of people will die. Eventually. Eventually. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I Someone uh, texted me a picture of that. That is true. So so props to Dr. Kornacki for getting the statistics right. And, and I, I do like to um, point out with uh, Dr. Kornacki's uh, bullet, it is to date. Hundred percent, right? Because right. yeah. it's Cause scientific ambiguity. We right? could I mean, be wrong. We could be, someday, someone might not die. Yeah, we could ever. Be, yeah, exactly. I don't know how we prove that though, because I mean, they could die at some point in the future. See, that's that's yeah, see, that's you can't prove a negative, Ben. That's what they always say. You can't prove a negative. That's true. There's no there's uh, there's no room for that. There's ah, <laughs> uh, well, um, hey, so there's some stuff going on in in my world, in my world in North Carolina. Really? Yeah, did you, did, I think you knew a little bit about this. Um, is, I, it, is it that uh, that you can't use the bathroom of your uh, preferred oh, sex? Yeah, well, that's there's that. Okay, um, that's not what you wanted to talk no, about. No, that's though. not what I wanted okay. to talk about. Uh, although I, you know, I, uh, I I have t-shirts. In fact, I'm oh no, I'm not wearing one, but I have t-shirts from this uh, company in North Carolina that makes great t-shirts, and they have a t-shirt that says "Whichever," and it has a picture of an ambiguous uh, bathroom. But nice. Yes. So that's not that's not what I want to talk about. What I wanted to talk about was um, uh, that I'm getting uh, alerts from Twitter that Brian Souders is tweeting about me. No, um, what I wanted to talk about is that there's a potentially a whole bunch of people getting sick or, or have been sick in North Carolina from salmonella and linked to this cheese place. Oh my gosh! I so I, I we wanted to talk about this last week. We did. Um, uh, and did we talk about it? We no. talked about no, but we should, we definitely should talk about it. This is big. This is this is big. This is blew my mind, Ben. Yeah. This is big news. So um, let me. Let me go ahead uh, and pull up uh, some stuff on this. Um, basically, um, there's a, a, a there's been a recall. Um, uh, the company's called Chapel Hill Creamery, um, and they are uh, conveniently, or maybe not surprisingly, located in Chapel Hill. Um, they uh, Epi there's a strong Epi link between eating their products and Salmonella typhimarium. And it's, 
it's a bit, I don't know, I guess it's a bit messy. Um, and the reason why I say it's a bit, a bit messy on this is every product that they have um, has been recalled. And, and I'll give you a little bit of- Every product that they have that they have ever made ever yeah, is being recalled. Is being recalled. That reminds me of some other company that had a similar well, recall. Yeah, it's, the, it's yes. Um, and so here's here's the thing, I, you know, as I dig around and make some, you know, maybe speculation a little bit about this, um, or you know, talk about what we see here in the in the reports. The there are some hard cheeses, there are some soft cheeses, there are some semi-hard cheeses, some semi-soft cheeses. There are some raw milk cheeses, there are some pasteurized milk cheeses, and they're all being recalled. And from what I understand, after. Um, talking to a few folks about it is that the the epi is really pointing to consuming cheeses and cheeses on cheese plates or at retail where maybe someone consumed two or three different cheeses uh, you know as you, as you as one does uh, sitting and maybe eating some uh, some charcuterie at the same time have a little bit of uh, I don't know maybe some honey or some fig uh, jams. Uh, and some wine, and you eat a bunch of stuff, and then it's not being—it's not currently um, being linked to any one cheese, which is which makes things a little bit dicey. So, so the it, you know it looks like the uh, the firm uh, has gone ahead and recorded everything, or recorded um, uh, recalled everything um, out of an abundance of caution and not having real clear epi link to any one of their any one of their products. Yeah, and and there are all and I, I believe now so they so they found they found the the outbreak strain in cheese, yes. Um, I think they found the outbreak strain in or in the creamery. In yeah, I think it's in raw milk. Okay. That that went into cheese and that in so so ingredient. Okay, but they so, but they've all haven't they also found an ill employee at the plant? I don't know okay. for sure on that. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it's you know sort sort of really at at this point um, it's it's been just in the in the practices, and so I'm going to read just a little bit from some some coverage, not in the practices, in the in the um, uh, milk that's that's gone into it. So um, this is just from a, a report from a couple days ago. Um, uh, health officials have identified recent cases of salmonella infection in persons who consume products. Um, a matching strain of salmonella has been identified in the milk from the creamery that was used during preparation of the products. Uh, and then there were some uh, comments from a uh, public health um, uh, official at the Orange County Health Department. Uh, her name's uh, Dr. Colleen Bridger. Um, and she goes into a little bit on uh, saying that they, the investigation began because there were some higher levels of salmonella typhimurium in public health wise. Um, and it's not unusual to see the spikes, uh, but these ones were out of or ordinary, so a little bit higher than what they would see. They would see, and then they uh, conducted a uh, investigation with some, um, uh, you know, questionnaires with uh, victims, uh, and they had one person that said that they'd eaten cheese from the creamery, so they went back and asked some more creamery cheeses, um, and. Uh, you know that that's then through the investigation. That's where they uh, took a sample that the milk sample that tested positive. But I want to I want to talk a little bit about some of 
the comments that you and I texted a little bit back and forth on, on this. So here's uh, Dr. Bridger says, I can't state enough how proactive Chapel Hill Creamery has been in this investigation. They've done everything they're supposed to in the preparation of their cheeses. Sometimes these things, or these happen, these things happen sometimes. They did not, quote, they did not do anything wrong. Um, she also added that there's always a risk when using raw milk to make cheese, which she characterized as a 1% risk. Um, and then she goes on to say that the creamery goes above and beyond federal guidelines. So I, you know, you and I shared a little bit of a text back and forth on this. <laughs> I think Don's uh, trying to open I'm, up a, do you need help with your I'm, wrist? I'm, I'm, thank you all, I'm fine. <laughs> this is a podcast. People cannot see what's going on unless you tell them about it. <laughs> Don, Don is, I, am, <laughs> I will I'm, tell I'm, them. I, as we have discussed before on the podcast, I am injured, I have a oh. broken, I have a broken <laughs> list. I have I'm a broken. Injured. <laughs> this one's gonna be explicit. I'm going to have to curse. Um, I have a broken left wrist. It makes it hard to open things. Uh, I need to not twist or torque things. So I am opening uh, my San Pellegrino water uh, using my right hand and my teeth. I, I, I feel bad now for... Um, not a best practice. Yeah. Kids, don't try this. That's okay. <laughs> Brian, Brian is now offering... See, here's the thing. I, have, I now have my mouth spit. On the top, you don't, you don't want to touch this. That's true. It's true. And you you are injured. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have laughed at that. It's, it's fine. It's yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. It's all for the comedic value of the podcast. It's fine. It's because it looks like you've recovered. I mean, this. I'm, I'm yeah, doing better. I'm good. doing better. My my wrist is still. Uh, I'm holding. I'm holding my wrist up to the microphone <laughs> so everyone can see. It's it, it's still a little bit swollen. It's still a little bit. Yeah. Um. Anyway. So so Don, in this conversation, you texted me back. Ben, I don't think people understand risk. Yeah. So th this is, and again, you know, and good, good for, good for the local public health people. Excuse me for identifying this outbreak, right? Because they they saw a higher than normal number of cases, and they they figured something out, and so good for them. But um, th this this uh, epidemiologist or this public health person is saying that. Uh, um, uh, there's always a risk when using raw milk to make cheese, and that risk is 1%, Ben. 1% risk of what? And also, if I was in a food company and I had a 1% risk of making someone sick, um, I would get the hell out of that business. Excuse me. That 1% is a really high number. 1% is a really high number. So let's, let's, let's extrapolate that. So let's say I make 100 wheels of cheese. My risk is one of those wheels of cheese. Like I know this is rudimentary mathematics, but that's one. Like that. That's that's a crazy amount. And I mean, I I think we have to take exception with a couple of things. One percent is really high. Also, it's probably not one percent, right? Like like we don't right. I, we don't know what what it is because. And this is where I want to come back to to the comments um, that are that are in there. I don't I, I don't know, and I've not been part of this at all. Um, I don't know how we have any data to say things like they've done everything they were supposed to and they didn't do anything wrong, right? Right. Maybe they right. did. Maybe they did. Maybe. I mean, here's the thing. Uh, yes, raw milk happens. Uh, pathogens happen. Um, but yeah, I'm, and, and here's the thing too, Ben. The other thing that is very puzzling about this is that this, sal this outbreak strain of salmonella, it's not a single product. It is raw product, it is pasteurized product, right? It is all over the place. And to, what, mm -hmm. to me, what that says is that there is a, there is a, a sanitation problem, right? I mean, hence my question earlier about, is there an employee that's sick? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, this, is, this, is, this is 
potentially problematic. I, uh, I, I'm not ready to absolve them of guilt, right? I mean, good, good that they took action, but I'm not ready to absolve them of guilt here. Yeah, and the the thing is, so here's here's like where I think there's a lot of unknowns, right? So yeah, it could be that these are these Ill, these illnesses are associated with various products. It could be that the illnesses are really only associated with one product, but that we don't know a whole lot about it, um, and that the epi is really really um, messy. Clyde's coming to join us over here. So I'm, I'm going to make a comment on the. Um, so, sounds like uh, uh, I sort of take. I'm taken aback by they did nothing wrong, because that is what we heard in the cantaloupe outbreak, uh, Listeria cantaloupe outbreak in 2011. Hmm. They said the Jensen brothers didn't do anything wrong, um, and so and clearly that's a landmark landmark outbreak. So that's it's sort of like. It's sort of like trying to minimize the seriousness of what's going on. So I, but, but, I sort of, I sort of taken aback by that comment. Well, and I want to, I want to come back to this idea of the, the Jensen brothers did nothing wrong. Absolutely, positively, they did something wrong. They, they were, do, uh, but, but they were doing the best that they could. But the best that they could wasn't good enough, and they didn't know anything about how to properly wash cantaloupes, right? But. but being in, being out in Colorado at the time, a lot of the media was portraying them as as you know, sort of they they like you said they did the best they could, um, and so I, I just I, I I don't really quite agree with that comment. Oh, yeah, they did the best they could, but honestly, they had no business making food because they didn't understand basic sanitation. Yeah, and and so I mean, the I guess the the thing to take issue with is not doing anything wrong explicitly. It's not like, you know, we're throwing in a bunch of salmonella, potentially. You know, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of speculation here, right? But Jensen Brothers, the same thing. It's like, not like we were doing any, we're not adding Listeria in here on purpose, but not doing anything wrong also means, well, we weren't maybe paying attention to things, or we were, we didn't investigate what we were supposed to do right to meet those best best practices. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree, Chip. I, I take I take kind of exception with that with that comment as well because I mean this is this is something that that we've talked about a lot over over time. The only way, like we only know if they did something wrong if someone was there prior to the outbreak looking to see if they were doing something right or wrong, right? Right? Like there's clearly something something's happened here, um, and 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 I think it's too too early to know what that was. Um, but if I'm you know Chapel Hill Creamery, I'm I'm in in a place where uh, I'm I'm trying to recall all of my products. I'm a small, um, you know, relatively small farmstead um, uh, artisan uh, cheesemaker, and I I now think I imagine I'm dealing with all the places that I've sold product to, who may be losing trust that I am managing food safety issues correctly like I, I think that the recall you've got that but then, then you have this whole like how do I get back in the market and you know how are we going to deal with illnesses from you know, in in some reports I mean the early reports were talking over 110 illnesses you know 60 in North Carolina now this here's the other thing that I want to caution us on it, it's it's a common PFG pattern for salmonella typhimerium. And so how many of those illnesses look like right now, they're part of this outbreak, and how many are not? And I, you know, it sounds like there'll be whole genome sequencing that happens um, and to help us uh, with, uh, um, w you know, with that clustering better. But 
I mean, it's it's a big deal. It's a big deal to um, you know, sort of regardless. Yeah, and I would I would love um, to to have some. I would really love to understand why public health people feel the need to. And we've seen ample examples of this in the past. Why they feel the in in some cases, some people. I don't want to characterize all public health people, but feel the need to say that the company did nothing wrong. And it's. I mean, you know, I understand why USDA is conflicted. Here comes because, Brian. Yeah, good. I, I figured I'd get yeah, him out good, of his chair. Um, yeah. So I understand why USDA is conflicted because they have the the mission of regulating and promoting agriculture. But uh, public health people, I I just I really that it concerns me that they often will or not often but that but from time to time um, this is what they do it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me their mission should be protecting public health leave it to somebody else to promote local restaurants yeah so <laughs> so I think I think it comes back to one thing I think I might have heard on a podcast somewhere it's complicated and it depends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good yeah. job, good job. Um, so I think but what you said, what Ben was saying before that, I think touches on the heart of it. It's, it's that organization that's producing that food provides jobs for that community, provides food for that community. Mm -hmm. And yes, they had a problem with food safety. And yes, they should be knowing how to produce food safely before they're selling it to the public. But as a regulator, Especially like to look at FDA, and may I may also say that my comments do not reflect the opinions or uh, anything stated by my agency. <laughs> yes. no, more, no, no motorcycles after 4 p.m. Yeah, right. exactly. You, yeah, you can say that like louder into the microphone if you want. Yeah, this is yeah, totally. You're just here as a, as a guest. All right, um, but I, I think the the big deal is is that you know public health we're straddling the fence of you know not just getting solving the problem or figuring out there's a problem and what the extent of the problem is, but also helping that agency get, or that organization, that, that store, that, that producer uh, back in business. And sometimes it's, you know, the producer's pretty nefarious and has a long track record, but from a public health perspective, we can't go in, shut somebody down long term without substantial evidence that they're willfully doing something wrong. And you see that from all of the, you know, it's only recently that there have actually been uh, criminal charges you know, put against people who have, who have had large outbreaks. So um, the public's opinion, though, really affects that. So when people listening to this who aren't public health people hear this, you know, they need to think about supporting their public health agencies and their government organizations that, that can control this foodborne illness uh, and, you know, and track it down to give them more power and authority. Even though FSMA has given us more of that, uh, we need to keep still, you know, honing those tools. Yeah, no, I, you bring up a really good point, Brian. It is it is complicated, and especially in a in a in a government agency organization where you have in lots, you know, depending on the jurisdiction, someone who is elected that is oversees the, um, the op, not the operations, but I guess the, the tone and the culture of, of that public health agency. Um, and in other places where you don't have that, you still have, I mean, you're, you and, and others are, are public servants that, um, that, that have to think about the tax dollars that go into stuff, and I, I mean, I think you're, you're right. It is it is complicated um, in, in a lot of sense, and, and you do straddle um, this this line of we we have to we have to we have to help someone follow the regulation. We have to ensure that we're not treating anybody differently um, because you know all businesses really need to be treated treated alike. And, and I guess my, my biggest concern with it is how do we know? 
right? Like, and that with this with this specific statement, I think it's so easy. It's so early. We don't really know what the source is. So how would we even possibly know whether quote someone was doing something wrong or not? And I don't I don't really take exception with saying things like we've looked at their records. We've looked at what they do when we've seen it and it, it appears that they are following the industry's best practices and we can't we don't know what happened here that to me is a much more salient and incorrect um, answer that that doesn't that i mean that's where, where you're kind of sharing well, what we know what we don't know and, and not making absolutes like and, and you know who knows if this is a misquote. I mean, we can. That's another option, you know, possibility here. Is there, there's sometimes like someone says, "Well, we don't think they're doing. They did anything wrong," and that turns into a quote that says, "We don't. They weren't doing anything wrong." So I mean, it gives us lots of good podcast fodder to talk about. Um, but but it's so to me, it's so early. How would how would anybody ever know? How will anybody know that right now at this point? Not, not to not to pivot away from that discussion, but here at the at the conference uh, this year, there was a whole lot of talk about whole genome sequencing, and you know there was some opposition. Honestly, I was on the program development committee to actually having a lot of whole genome sequencing be on the agenda this year because a lot of people felt that well, that's a new technology. Do we really need it? But the lot the discussion here that we did have at the meeting was. You know, there really has to be an interplay between industry, government, and academia to learn what that technology does and how we can use it. And the opposition from, in, you know, the big criticism is, well, you know, government needs to build a database that's diverse so that we understand the sequence diversity, mm -hmm. right? So that we can make assessments like in a case like this, when we get the whole genome sequencing results, what do those results actually mean, right? But there's hesitation on the part of industry because of press releases like this that don't always maybe get possibly the quote correct Absolutely. so that you know they may be you know the information may be taken out of context and that's that's the problem is how do we get to a place where industry and government can actually work more together on some of these food safety issues so you, you can have a clearer message out to the public and a more standard message in each of these cases like here's what we did I mean I've heard this yep. come up multiple multiple times here's what we do as a company to ensure food safety Maybe we missed something. Now we've learned what that is. Now we're going to put yep. a corrective action in place. Yeah, and, and to the you know I, I think to, to the same point. That's a that's a really good public health message on. Here's what we know about these illnesses, and here's all the uncertainty that we have. Our, how big is the cluster? How how widespread is the? You know, what's the prevalence like in the cheese? Um, if it is, you know, what kinds of cheeses is it in? Like there's so this and and. I, I don't know if we ever get past this situation, but the the report and the press release are incomplete stories, and and all I think that they need to do moving forward is say this story is incomplete, <laughs> and here are the things that we're doing to try and complete the story, and we may never complete it, and that's that, it's it's harder that that's harder to do because I and I you know I'm, I'm gonna ask you this question I'll ask Alita too if you want to weigh in on this I, I feel like you guys are in a situation where the the public wants you to solve a case and be definitive and often we don't we don't do that yeah yeah and, and Ben I mean really one of the things that uh, FDA has provided funding support to the states with is these uh, rapid response teams and one of the key deliverables that they've been charged with in the states is to uh, is to report to the public on what they find during these outbreaks. 
unfortunately, what the states have found is that that's a hard thing to do because of the politics and the media scrutiny and all the things that we just talked about. So it is something, though, that they're that they're that they're really trying to push, and, and, and there are states that have started uh, to to do that kind of thing, but it hasn't been as public as maybe as we want it to be. Well, it's good. Thanks. And, do you want to come over? And, and, while, and <laughs> while we're while we're while we're changing seats, I, I do want to just bring us uh, briefly back to uh, back to raw milk and back to this outbreak. Uh, one of the things that was quoted in uh, in the uh, newspaper article that was linked to in Barflog is the company talking about their their cheese making process. And I just want to read to you from something from their website. Uh, they write that making cheese is a blend of art and science with a dose of intuition. It's physically demanding, but also miraculous. And then I posted my smart aleck comment on Barflog saying, and sometimes results in pathogens. But then, but I but but I want to come specifically to one sentence here at the end of their their. And this is not in response to the outbreak, but it's on their website. It says, we monitor the pH. So, and first of all, pH is written with a capital P and a capital H. So right away, I'm questioning their ability to understand science, because they don't know how to write pH correctly. And I'm being a bit pedantic, but it's a, it's a good point. Um, I think it's a good point. Um, <laughs> Did you just tell yourself, I'm being a bit pedantic, but I've made a good point here? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. OK, exactly. good. Just, just want to let make the sure. record show. Um, <laughs> uh, monitor the pH of the product throughout the cheese make and keep records for ourselves and our inspectors from the Department of Agriculture. So there's a typo there, right? I'm assuming that, it's, that they don't mean throughout the cheese make. I think they mean throughout the cheese making process. Mm -hmm. And they keep records for themselves and for their inspectors. So OK, that's great that you're monitoring pH. Um, what other records are you collecting? Um, what are those records? And, and, and how do you know those records are enough to assure safety? Are you testing for pathogens? We know testing doesn't ensure safety, but testing is an important part, right? So anyway, so I'm just, I'm, again, I'm still a little, a little irritated um, uh, at, at this company and, uh, and at their, their lack of uh, uh, professionality with their, uh, with their spelling and their typos on their website. But that's, just, <laughs> that's just me. Well, and I just, to jump in too, um, since I work with the Department of Agriculture, I mean, we work with all sorts of firms, um, particularly if we're doing, you know, routine sampling and we come across an issue, we do require them to complete a corrective action plan. And that's where we really get down into the, the dirt of how much they know, um, because we require several different components of this plan, which would include, um, for example, training records for their employees and how they um, measure their training, their employees' understanding of the training and, and for example, the understanding of listeria. And we, I mean, we see things all over the board, but for the most part, people don't know what they're doing. And it's really concerning. And so we have to balance, kind of going back to Brian's point, we have to balance helping the firm get back into, you know, pr producing a safe product because we do want our, our facilities to succeed in Minnesota, of course, but we want them to be doing it safely, balancing that with not being their QA team because they need to be able to figure it out and do it on their own. So it's just kind of a, it's a tricky balance there too. I mean, completely disregarding media or, or public, um, you know, understanding of it. It's just working with the firm and, and you know, how what their understanding of what the issue might be too. So yeah, no, it's it's a really good point. And I think that um, you know Don and I, uh, in the world of extension, we are also in that weird spot where. Um, and you know something that we've talked about um, in, in previous podcasts where we can talk about risks and we can talk about um, risk management options but ultimately the business has to make a risk management decision and and that some of those risk management decisions include all the stuff that, that you had talked about elite on how they're going to monitor what kind of um, specific um, 
uh, you know, what, what specific guidance they're going to follow because, you know, when it comes to best practices for cheese making, there's lots of things to, to keep in, in mind. So it's, it, yeah, it, it ultimately, in, it, it ultimately lies in, in the business's lap on what are you, you going to do sort of day in and day out to keep pathogens out of your, your product. And I think that as we see in um, uh, you know, the cottage in industry take off, uh, cottage food industry, not the cottage industry. Which is a that's a different industry. It's like one that we're. Well, <laughs> I'm I mean, sure that's taking off and, as well. And let's be let's be clear. There's no cottage food without cottages. Well, so, that's true. So yeah, yeah. The cottage industry has to proceed the cottage yeah. food industry if we're going to have more cottage food. <laughs> and the cottage cheese industry, which is a whole entirely different thing. Well, also depends on cottage. It does. It's yeah. right there in the name. Well, and cheese. And uh, cheese. Yeah. Um, but as as that as it grows and it should grow. I mean, that's the thing that that I, I want to be. Um, I, I want to make sure that, that I'm really clear on is, is I, I agree. I mean, I want more choices. I really like the fact that when we came to, to St. Louis, nothing against Anheuser-Busch, but there was a bunch of small breweries here. That's the kind of, that gives us all these food choices, beverage choices that, that needs to, it, it needs to um, be supported. So, but you run into, I think this economy is a scale of how big is your business and do you have someone on staff that knows food microbiology? And 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 you know my my guess is we're getting closer to answering yes to that, but it's going to take some time. And all I want to say is maybe one of our guests can fill in. I'm actually going to go over to the raw milk debate right now because NoroNerd has just tweeted that Dr. Farber says he's going to do the first part of his speech like Donald Trump, and I do not want to miss that. Oh my gosh, I look forward to that uh, situation. Um, uh, so anyway, the. Uh, you know the the cheese stuff. I guess to be continued is really the the answer to Chapel Hill Creamery. Um, uh, over time, as as the illnesses and investigation goes on, um, I'm sure uh, you know. In our next episode, we'll be able to share more more information. Yeah, and I, I again, you know, really looking forward to learning more. It, it's definitely an interesting outbreak. And again, you know, not to slam the public health people too hard because they did find the outbreak, but. Uh, anyway, it was, and it was good. I'm, I'm so glad we could have our public health uh, people here with us today to offer their perspective. Yeah, it's always good to have uh, folks, smart people in the room that can comment. We should have more guests on who can just weigh in when we talk like stuff, um, because uh, sometimes we just go down a path. It's kind of nice to be like, hey, oh yeah, Brian, come on, come you, on over here. You know what we need, Ben, is we need guests that are better at not making noise in the background. Oh no, we we that just was, that was dramatic foley. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the foley, the foley. Um, so there's something else. Um, uh, well, there's a bunch of a bunch of things going on. Uh, I put a, a couple of um, other notes in our little podcast folder. Um, but uh, Chip mentioned um, uh, a you know we or we brought up Jensen Brothers, um, and uh, there's some rock melon, which is uh, which is like cantaloupe, but I think it is cantaloupe in Australia that's making a bunch of people sick from salmonella. Um, so that that hit today, uh, or I guess in the last couple of days, uh, on Barf Blog, and uh, I'll, uh, let me pull that story up here. Well, while you're doing that, I want to talk about uh, something that uh, that's going on uh, right now uh, called the Panera No-No list. Oh and yes. I did, I did not know about this, but I was asked uh, by a reporter recently to comment on this, and. And I really, you know, I mean, I love the food industry. I'm a customer of Panera Bread. I, uh, just like I used to be a customer of Chipotle. We'll see if I stay a customer of Panera Bread or not. But um, they have recently come out with uh, saying, uh, and I guess that they came out with this announcement in 2015, 
um, but for some reason it was heating up uh, in the news media recently. Uh, they have published something called the No-No List, and, and I'll read from their website here, their, their PDF on their website, which says, we are committed to removing artificial preservatives, sweeteners, and flavors along, along with colors from artificial sources from the food in our bakeries by the end of 2016. The reason why the reporter was contacting me was to see if there are any food safety implications of this. And so uh, there are, uh, and they've got a, a rather extensive list of some things that they, uh, either that they don't have in their food right now or that they are removing from their food. And some of the things that they're removing um, include benzoic acid, uh, calcium peroxide, calcium sorbate, dipotassium sulfate, I'm just uh, skipping to the ones that I know are preservatives. Nitrates and nitrites added not naturally occurring. Uh, polysorbate, sodium benzoate, potassium bisulfate, sodium benzoate, sodium diacetate, sodium athorbate, sodium lactates, et cetera, et cetera. And these things are in foods for a reason. And, and what, I'm, what I'm afraid they're going to do is they're going to get rid of nitrates and nitrites, and they're just going to add celery juice, right, which is a, a nitrite-containing natural alternative. And I, I mean, I understand why the industry is doing this, uh, because they, they're doing this because they want labels that look clean. They're doing it for perception. But here's the thing. If you take out added nitrates and nitrites and you add in celery juice, you have not done anything except you've, you've changed a, 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 a chemical sounding thing for a natural sounding thing, but you haven't really done anything except maybe increase cost because, and, and maybe reduced uh, control uh, because now you're relying on a natural source of those nitrites instead of uh, uh, a, a non-natural source which is more easily controlled. And I just, and you know, and did, did, did Panera learn nothing from, from Chipotle, right? Chipotle was out there beating the bandwagon about GMO free and hormone free and, and all of this. Um, and at the same time, they're taking their eye off the ball in terms of food poisoning. And I know for sure that, uh, that Panera sells uh, deli meats and some of those preservatives are in those deli meats for a reason. They control listeria. So again, just uh, a little bit, a little bit of a, 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 a a little bit irritating for me, um, and again, hopefully, uh, I said some good things to the reporter. Hopefully, it'll make him into make it into the article. But, but what is? Do you, and and actually, it's so funny because at the same time I was talking to the reporter, I think simultaneously with that there was a session going on here at the meeting um, about this uh, this green label uh, green label clean label initiative. So, do you have do you have thoughts on this, Ben? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think. Uh, in, in one sense, I understand, like you said, I understand why a company would do this because it's it's good marketing, right? Like that's that's pretty much pretty much it. Um, I hope that it also includes um, conversations with their food safety team and microbiologists to see what what is this change with the with with the products. I'm not as like I, I'm not as um, Upset, maybe not as not as you, but some of the stuff that I've read on online about um, you know people kind of screaming out that well this is this just adds to like hysteria around um, chemicals. I, I'm I'm okay with that. I been really because I think instead of screaming about that, it's our place or food scientist's place to talk about why these things are in there in the first place. Like it's 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 a circular endless argument to say these these companies are making things um, uh, making things harder that's that's part of our job is to do better at communication I'm I'm very concerned that um, that they on their list of foods in the Panera Nono list and and I don't know um, maybe I'm reading it incorrectly they say not in our food today 
um, is uh, that uh, um, aspartame's uh, in there because I drink a lot of Diet Coke at, well, uh, at, at the at the Panera. And, and here's the thing: so what <laughs> so they're gonna they're gonna now only have. Uh, uh, Sugary beverages, because I'm pretty sure that's not good. And, and again, this see, this is why we ought to figure out a way to do a live podcast, because we have people in the room that are helping us make the podcast. And I just got a, a text <laughs> message from uh, Chip Manuel, who says that the uh, the Panera Bread no-no list actually comes from the food babe. And we all love to hate on the food babe, uh, who mm. is a, a very attractive uh, looking woman who uh, basically spouts uh, pseudoscientific nonsense uh, and 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 is is tra transforming the food industry. So anyway, so thanks uh, thanks to Chip for that. Well, that's that's good. I, uh, I don't know. I just want. I just hope I can get Diet Coke up in here when I go. Exactly. <laughs> if they stop serving Diet Coke, you know, and what you know what else? I put artificial sweeteners in my coffee yeah. at well. Panera, which I get from time to time. Oh, and there's also caffeine added, but not. <laughs> So, there, so not the natural. Good, I missed that one too. Thanks to Alita for pointing out that um, oh they also God. have caffeine. So, there's no, not, there'll be no caffeine in Panera. <laughs> well, added, not the naturally occurring type. Right, right. So, so in other words, but um, it's okay if it's naturally. Oh, but occurring. wait, 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 wait. But this this says already. Yeah. Uh, already, yeah. Panera is free so, of caffeine added, not naturally occurring. So it's probably so, in their. So what the hell? What what is in their Diet Coke, Ben? Well, you know what it probably is is that they are very committed to removing these preservatives from the food in our bake bakery and they're not, not the beverage they're not considering that beverages might the be a, a food but so but why you know, I think FDA that? would disagree I, FDA would disagree um, and why would they like um, yeah but drink all the coffee you want and no, Diet co Coke. Coffee's okay. Because yeah. the Ben, uh, let me oh, explain this to you. The coffee, the caffeine in coffee is natural. The caffeine in Diet Coke is an additive. Is it no Diet Coke. I'm out. I'm out. Have to switch to coffee. Switch to coffee. Speaking of which, um, I wish that I had brought my AeroPress or that that Chip Manual would have made me some uh, some coffee from his AeroPress uh, uh -oh. and brought it over. Uh oh, Chip is coming over. Yeah. I don't see. He doesn't have any uh, AeroPress no Aero in his hands. Don't have anything. I forgot my AeroPress, but did you did you try the inverted method no, that I've been not. hounding you to try? I told you. I have not tried the inverted method because what I saw online makes me think that I'm going to burn my hands. Well, it's, it's amazing. The, the AeroPress can take old, crappy coffee and, frankly, turn it into good coffee. It's, it's an amazing little device. Do you, do you know, and he is not a spokesman, a paid spokesman no, for not, AeroPress. Neither of us are. Do you know who else uses the inverted AeroPress method, Ben? No. Think back a year ago. Donald Trump? No, no, <laughs> no. A, a year ago, to this very room in another city, Merlin, Merlin Mann Merlin. uses the inverted arrow press oh, method. Of course he so, does. Of course. Boom. It's got to be, you know, legit. It's true. It's true. Merlin and Chip both. Merlin and Chip, yeah. And their hands, they're pristine. I just feel like I'll burn my hands. I speaking of burn. So, food safety wise, I t teach this course that I, I talked a little bit about, where we train um, environmental health specialists at local um, local environmental health specialists on uh, some specialized process and HACCP plans and stuff. And one of the things we do is we make, we have an inversion or an immersion circulator um, and sous vide some stuff. And I am the one, when we like finish the workshop, for whatever reason, I become the one who empties the water out of the Cambro that we use for the immersion circulator. And it is, it's heavy because it's maybe, I don't know, I don't know how many gallons. I don't know anything about gallons. It's multiple gallons of water. And it's hot water. And I try to like always push it out where it's over top of a sink and it comes out too much. And then one time, maybe three months ago, 
the 185 degree water that was in it spilled all over my legs and my pants, and I was really, really hot. <laughs> so that's why I don't use the immersion, the uh, inversion uh, method. There you go. I, I have like delicate. I'm very sensitive to hot water. You're very just sensitive in general. I'm a sensitive guy. Very sensitive. Um, so we got so we got Panera. Oh yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to come back to our um, uh, salmonella, rock melons. Um, and uh, we are talking about red dirt melons. Do they have red dirt on them? I don't or know. Do they come from? Do they only grow in red dirt. Are they like? I'm, is, I'm a little confused. Is it like red dirt country music, which I think is from like uh, Arkansas, Nashville? No, isn't it? Is really? I think it's like it's like uh, Oklahoma because that's where there's red dirt. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, red dirt melons. Recalling rock melons after. Uh, um, F. Sands uh, launched an investigation into a spike of salmonella cases in a number of Australian states. Um, and there are 86 reported uh, cases of salmonella, and you're going to have to help me with the pronunciation on this one, Don. Vittingvoss. You know, you know that stereotype? I think that's pronounced Semftenberg. <laughs> Gesundheit is the only right uh, answer to that. Um, yeah, 53, 43 cases in New South Wales uh, in uh, the previous two weeks up to August 1st. So uh, red dirt rock melons. Oklahoma, a country, red dirt country from Oklahoma. I am not a, I am not a country music, uh, um, like a massive country music fan, but I do, uh, I do play hockey with a country music star, Jason Michael Carroll. Wow, he's got the name for it too. He does, he does. Um, cool. So, what else we got going on, Don? Well, um, in addition to uh, Jeff Farber saying he's going to do the first part of his speech like Donald Trump, um, uh, NoroNerd also reports that a risk assessment from New Zealand says even with extremely good hygiene, you cannot guarantee the absence of harmful pathogens. But, but again, even with everything in the world, you can't guarantee the absence of harmful pathogens. So again, I mean, and I'm not, I'm not slagging on NoroNerd here. It's just. Uh, no, I mean, even in pasteurized milk, you can't guarantee the absence of harmful pathogens because you're going to have post-processing pasteurization. So, um, anyway, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just cranky, Ben. Oh, that's okay. It's be time to be cranky. Oh, but Don, I think the whole tr Donald Trump style was it that Dr. Farber talked in circles, and we can't tell if he's pro or anti raw milk. Excellent. Nicely. Well, you know, Jeff is a former regulator, and yes. they are, from and and from Canada. Yep. They're really good at talking in circles and not offending people. Absolutely, that's that's entirely true. Um, all right, so I I, I placed one more one more thing in our uh, conversation uh, Dropbox today, uh, and uh, moving on to Bluebell Creameries, of who have been a continuing, uh, I would say, a guest star of our podcast over the last uh, year and a half or so. Is, is Bluebell Creameries in the news again, Ben? They are in the news again. Um, so. Uh, our our friend um, uh, Bill Marler uh, posted something on his website. Uh, I think it was actually Saturday morning on my way here uh, that I saw it. It was a enforcement agreement from the Texas uh, Department of State Health Services, and in addition to um, all the business losses uh, for Bluebell and closing. Uh, for months and layoffs and trying to regain market and you know everything that's sort of going going on um, there, uh, the state of Texas also um, uh, added a administrative penalty to uh, 
uh, Bluebell for infractions uh, related to food safety uh, of $850,000. And they are uh, have to uh, pay that fine, uh, at least $175,000 of that in, you know, I guess in cold hard cash, uh, 30 days uh, after July 25th, which is when this agreement was signed. Um, and then they will pay for the rest of it uh, over uh, in a payment plan. But it's oh, like a but big- it, But it also says if they make it through 18 months without problems, the state will not make the company pay the remaining amount of the fine. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. Well, I mean, it is it is one way to get someone's attention, right? Is to give them a fine and then you you say, look, we're gonna make you pay more, but uh, but you're on notice, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, and. And I guess, you know, this has been an interesting case as we followed it and talked about it a lot, but I believe to, to date, um, and I could be wrong, we'll Google this while I talk, um, I don't think there's been any uh, lawsuits uh, against uh, Bluebell. Is that, was that not correct because of uh, illnesses happened a while ago? Oh, that's, that's really interesting. And I guess, uh, you know, who should know would be, would be Bill Marler. Um, he actually was not here uh, at the IAFP meeting. I think he was flying to... Uh, uh, Australia or to he was in Hawaii and then he was flying to New Zealand or Australia or something so he's been a busy guy but yeah. uh, no I had not I, I did not realize that 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 is a little bit surprising yeah there's or maybe there there was one I'll, I'll figure this out I think there might have been one case but I don't know if I, I'm not sure if, if Marler has that that case and maybe that's why but there was zero but it's I mean for that outbreak, there were really, I think, only 10 confirmed illnesses. So it's not a large class action lawsuit like we might see for other uh, outbreaks. That's a good point, yeah. So, so I mean, so the penalty of, you know, millions of dollars in, in settlement costs uh, appear to be coming in the form of um, a, a few hundred thousand dollars in, in real cash costs to this. Um, to the state, and I wonder on that, and this is you know something that we've talked about a little bit before. You know, so often people have, um, or will have product liability insurance, but I, my guess is for a fine to not be following the laws, they probably don't carry insurance for that. Yeah, I, we'd have to ask a liability so, lawyer, but that that uh, that's a that's a very good point. Um, yeah, because because uh, that wouldn't uh, well, and you know it depends on the company. Many companies are self-insured, and they don't carry uh, liability. Right. So uh, and this is is a, is a you know, small family-owned uh, business or a relatively small regional uh, family business. So, yeah. yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Interesting times for food safety. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, we got Chip's coming. He's tagging back in. He's coming. Go back to the no-no list real quick. Yeah, come sure. on back to the no-no list. As listeners, the long-time listeners of the podcast know, what we really don't follow any particular order. We sometimes jump around. So, thank you for for helping yeah. us with that, Chip. So, one thing I was one thing I was curious about with this no-no list because it seemed to be driven, like we said, by the uh, Food Bay barbacle around May 2015. So, I looked at the stock of Panera around that time, and after the Food Bay uh, <laughs> article, I saw about a 15% increase in stock price in about a month. Uh, about a month to two months window. Oh. So just very crude math that I just did. I just thought that was clearly the consumers responded favorably to that announcement. So makes you wonder if it was a bit of a, a, a strategy. Yeah. Well, if it, if it was, it, it appears to have worked in the short term. Huh. I feel like Jim Cramer here, the guy from the guy who yells on Mad Money. You know, yeah. Sell. Buy. We need a bell. Ding, 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 ding. What uh, what else what else you got, Don? What's going on in the world of raw milk right now? Oh, Anything? Uh, you know, Nora Nerd has been very quiet. I don't I don't see that she's uh, tweeted anything. She's probably just listening uh, listening carefully. Uh, the last still probably going on in circles. Could be. <laughs> As they have 
Right, right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that we uh, started the exciting um, raw milk backlash that uh, after we talked about raw milk being uh, like Hamsterdam in The Wire. Indeed. That's our first Wire reference of the day. It's good, it's good. Not bad. Um, yeah, I do want to talk shows because so I have I got two I have got the, I, like the wire made me think about this. Have you been, well? Did we maybe I already asked you this in person and you're not watching it? But I started watching Mr. Robot on the way here. Oh yes, we did. Yeah. We, I think we talked about it on the podcast uh, last time. No, I don't think so. No, no, in person. Podca yes. Podcast so, listeners, so have we? Do we listen to? No, do we talk so, about Mr. No, Robot? No, so hard to remember. No, Alita says she doesn't remember. Okay, yeah. So yeah. All right, it, it was. It must have been in person. Oh, okay. Good, good to know. Well done. You must be very productive. I don't. Uh, you must skip a lot of our podcast then, based on. <laughs> Sometimes I'll skip the first hour. Yeah. <laughs> good choice. Good choice. Um, no, not a good choice. You got to listen to the whole thing, or it doesn't count. So, so I. Anyway, Don, you should check out Mr. Robot. I watched the first two episodes on the way here. It's quite dark, but uh, it's uh, it's good. And you know who is listening? Who's watching Mr. Robot? Robot, Doug Powell. Oh, told me that he's that? loving wow. he's loving that show. Wow. So um. yeah, no, I um, uh, Mr. Robot has been recommended by some of the other podcasts uh, that I listen to, so uh, it is definitely on my list. Um, the other show that I will give a brief shout out to because I've I've seen a little bit of it is um, and this is because so the greatest Netflix is fantastic. First of all, I think we can all agree. Um, but what's even better is when you are in your hotel room and your hotel room allows you to watch Netflix. And so yes. um, my my wife uh, was here. Uh, with me uh, at the conference, and she one of the things that she likes to do, whether she's traveling or at home, is to watch television. And so she binged watched um, something on Netflix while she was here. It's a show called Penny Dreadful. Have you heard of Penny Dreadful? No, I don't know that one. So uh, Penny Dreadful is a show set in uh, turn of century London, which which features uh, characters such as Dorian Gray, Doctor Frankenstein. Um, uh, various uh, uh, evil, uh, evil uh, characters. Uh, Jack, Jack the Ripper is sort of set, you know, is the context in the background, and it's it's incredibly, it's dark and it's incredibly bloody, hmm. um, and 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 quite good. So she got sucked in and she binge watched a whole bunch of episodes of, of that. So uh, so listeners that like uh, that like that uh, British um, murder, uh, gore, uh, fantastical world. Uh, 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 two thumbs up from uh, from my wife for Penny Dreadful. Cool. Um, I am not really. Oh, oh! I have another show that I have not started to watch, but people have been pressuring me into watching. So I downloaded a few episodes to watch um, on the way back, which is Justified. Have you ever watched Justified? I have not even heard of that. Oh, uh, here you go. I knew that I would get Chip up. I think Chip. But Alita's out because it's a TV show. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> oh. No, no, when we when we, <laughs> when we first moved to Milwaukee in January and it was just too dang cold to do anything, huh. we we got hooked on Justified and and we would do about a a, a season a, a week. So perfect. Is that, it's a pretty cool show. Yeah, the uh, Timothy Timothy Oliphant mm. is the uh, the uh, main guy and he is quite quite awesome. If you've ever seen Deadwood, he's pretty famous from from that HBO series. Uh, it's basically the same character. Um, yeah, he's he's sort of the. Uh, the bad dude, uh, bad lawman in this, just like uh, Deadwood. So we were a big fan of it, although towards the end, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it sort of got a little bit repetitive. Um, but <laughs> okay. it, it, it's a good series. Yeah, definitely worth watching. 
Well, I was pleasantly surprised. And it looks like there's six seasons, so uh, lots there to watch, and really not surprising that it got repetitive. After six seasons, uh, you really have to be really know what you're doing to keep things interesting. Yeah, and I was I was a little apprehensive or or didn't know what to expect because it's an FX show, and I I thought maybe the acting would be subpar, but Timothy Oliphant's pretty good, and then his counterpart. um, I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name. He actually got most of the accolades for for the awards. uh, drawing a blank on his name, but um, he's a pretty good actor too. So the acting is actually quite quite decent. Uh, awesome, Tim- Timothy Oliphant, uh, one of the best characters in one of my favorite movies of all time, Go. Don, do you know about Go? I do not. Oh, dude, you guys, this is homework for you. Uh, Doug Liman wrote it. He's the same guy who wrote Swingers, which uh, you know about Swingers. No. Oh, Doug. Don, Don, Don. So, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's okay. You, I'll, we'll set up with these. Goes, uh, yeah. goes I also awesome. don't actually watch much television, so uh, I'm, I'm busy uh, no, this, sleeping or drinking or something. You'll be. You, I will. Uh, we will set you up with this. Anyway, check out. Check out. Go. Uh, it's really. It's really good too. Um, I had something else. Yeah. See, the, the the tagline is uh, "Life begins at 3 a.m." You know, at 3 a.m. I'm sleeping, Ben. Uh, you <laughs> isn't that what time you get up? Well, you go to bed at 7, well, you get up, at three. get up at 3. Actually, yeah. I, think it, I think you're thinking of Linda Harris. But That's yes. true. It's only because when we call her, it's 6 a.m. our time. Um, so there was that. Um, oh, oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. I took some notes about uh, during IAFP um, about uh, a talk that I really, really liked. I was uh, convening a session yesterday on, um, well, actually, I want to talk about two talks I really liked. Was uh, one of them mine? Nope. No, I didn't see you talk. I was. I have seen. I have not seen anything that are sessions that I have not either talked in or convened because I've been. Booked. My my dance card has been full, Don. I I hear you. I hear you. I hear that story. Yes. Um, me too. So anyway, the first talk that I really really enjoyed was in a session that you and I co-convened yesterday, um, and it was uh, a talk. So we we co-convened. <coughs> excuse me. Co-convened a session on crowdsourcing that uh, the uh, student professional development group uh, sponsored, and I think there might have been another um, sponsor to that uh, session, round, no, symposia, I guess, or short session, whatever it was. Um, But uh, it included um, some, uh, it was all about crowdsourcing for food safety. Reasons and one uh, one of the speakers uh, talked about uh, this um, uh, system where he gathers tries to gather da- data on uh, people getting sick. This uh, system called IWasPoisoned.com. Uh, there was another talk after that by um, a researcher at Washington University on using Yelp and Twitter for signals, which was which were great. Both good talks, but really it was the third talk that kind of blew my mind. Um, and it was sort of out of my realm a little bit, um, and it was a talk, and I'm trying to find uh, the individual's name who gave the talk, but it was a talk about um, using data uh, from sales records to predict sales, um, to predict illnesses, or sorry, to predict what people were buying around the time of illnesses. And Alita just helped me out. It was a guy from uh, uh, IBM. His name is James Kaufman. Thank you. Um, and so I just I found this talk was like fascinating, of a physicist for IBM. And I didn't know that IBM had a group that was looking at genomics first of all, um, and was looking at 
um, you know, how do, how do we incorporate genomics into food safety, but it also was looking at all this other, like, existing data sets to get better at um, finding foodborne illnesses. And so he created, um, or his group, uh, he presented on uh, creating a, a model to um, essentially feed epi information into uh, over top of sales data and say, here are some likely foods that were associated with these, these illnesses. And I just, I thought that was like, it blew my mind in a way like, oh, that's brilliant. And that I could see how if you could get real time sales information and real time epi information, you really could use uh, a model like that to, um, to, to help solve outbreaks faster. Yeah, and that in fact that, that whole session again, like you said, it's it, when you get to a certain point, uh, you just spend your time either giving talks or convening sessions or in, in in meetings that you've set up with people, and so it's kind of like the only time I ever read scientific papers anymore is when I'm reviewing them, <laughs> um, but that's okay. I mean, that, that's 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 where I am right now um, in my career, and that's that's totally fine. Um, but. Um, or, or when my students cite them and I have to check them to make sure that they've cited them correctly and invariably they haven't, don't get me started. But um, <laughs> students, man, am I right? Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, that session that we convened, which again, just sort of fell into, fell into our laps where the students said, hey, look, would you guys convene us? That was a really good session and I wouldn't have been yep. there otherwise. Yeah. Actually, all, I, I really enjoyed all three talks and we'll link, certainly we'll link to IamPoisoned.com. Uh, I think they're doing some really, really clever stuff and uh, I just was really really impressed with with all the speakers and, and all of this and again it's it's a, something that we often talk about on the podcast right this is all like sort of cutting edge uh, the way the world is changing technology kind of stuff and it's just it's it's really cool and it's exciting to be part of it yeah I, I was I had a conflict and I was really wishing I had attended that note uh, that talk I know Ben you and I in May had met, met Patrick from ourspoison.com mm -hmm. and um, you know it's just it's pretty neat to see this um, this field growing. I remember four years ago, uh, our colleague at uh, <coughs> colleague at CDC, Aaron Hall, who we were at Illinois with, uh, was uh, on a paper called Norvirus Disease Surveillance Using Google Internet Search Data. So, and they basically showed that you could predict uh, Norvirus illnesses based on what people were typing in Google. So, I saw that four years ago, and it's pretty cool to see it uh, uh, that that sort of way of thinking expand and, and evolve. Yeah. And one of the things, too, that Patrick Quaid made uh, as part of IWasPoisoned.com is he actually could go back and look at people on his website that were claiming they got sick from Chipotle, um, and he saw a spike, and that spike was prior to any news about Chipotle outbreaks. So absolutely uh, blew me away that, that he, he knew that Chipotle was like 10 times riskier than uh, uh, the previous uh, um, uh, the previous. Uh, 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 Next two, next two restaurants down, and I'm 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 having trouble trouble with my words because I want the official record to show that um, uh, Brian just gave uh, Ben a drink out of his uh, Coke Zero, and I'm not sure I'm not sure whether uh, it touched Ben's lips or not, or whether Brian's going to drink the rest of it. But I I was it was I was totally distracted by that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I I, my, I have hit like some level of scratchiness in my throat where I think I was going to go through this like coughing fit. Um, so thank you. Uh, so I <laughs> asked Brian, who is using a Coke Zero bottle as a tripod, I think, for as he records us, uh, if I could drink something out of it, so I could continue on in the podcast. Are we, Brian? Are we being periscoped right now? Uh, not exactly. Okay, not, not exactly. Who knows? Who knows where we are? I don't know what portals are open, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, um, 
So, uh, uh, that, so anyway, that was th that was the first talk that I thought was really awesome yesterday. I saw another great talk from um, a colleague uh, from University of Waterloo. Her name's Shannon Majewitz. And she uh, does work in public health um, at the University of Waterloo and had uh, completed a, uh, a, um, a project over the last couple of years looking at food safety, knowledge, attitudes, and self-reported, or no, not an, an actual behavior um, of Ontario high school students. So, you know, automatically it's like close to home because it's Ontario. Shannon I've known for a long time. She was um, a graduate student um, I think at the same time as I was, and she used to work with um, the Public Health Agency of Canada uh, with, uh, I'm not sure if in Anna Lamberding's group, but but close to Anna, who's fr friend of, friend of the show, I would say. Um, and uh, her husband, Mike, uh, uh, I used to play hockey with. Um, so anyway, I've known Shannon for a long time. She gave a really fantastic talk. And the, there was one strike, so she, um, did, trained people, did pre and post tests on, um, uh, train people on food safety practices. These are all uh, high school students, and then it was part of a foods class, so they were able to observe their food handling practices. But she um, showed that, uh, and I, she reported that there are kids that were um, providing, like, were food handlers for the public, whether that be in volunteer settings or whether that be uh, commercially or, you know, in a fast food restaurant or a restaurant. Um, and she, on the pre-test pre and post-test, about 20% uh, um, of the students in her survey were in this group. Those students performed, who were already serving food in the, for the public, they, they, and should have some, you know, food safety know-how or behavior, um, performed uh, practice food safety and knowledge uh, demonstration um, no significant difference from those who are not food handlers who would not have been trained. And uh, overall, it was like less than half of uh, the participants in their study met the knowledge um, metrics that they were, they were looking for. So it, to me, like, I thought that was a really important piece because I, I would have, I did assume that uh, a, a student who was working even at a, you know, as a dishwasher, in the food industry would perform better on food safety knowledge than someone who was like you know may never may never have even like prepared food at home before and in her in her study she's like no no they're they're the same yeah and i would say too uh we will link to we will link to these in show notes and if you did attend the iafp annual meeting but didn't happen to attend any of these talks I believe most of them, if the, if the presenter gave permission, they are being recorded and you can play them back later uh, with accompanying uh, uh, images of the slides. And so that's, uh, that's a really cool thing. And again, I just want to sh give a shout out to IAFP for, for creating this, this wonderful repository. I know that in the past I have listened. Um, oh, there we go. Oh, there a, we go. That's good. <laughs> Live, live real-time feedback. Yeah. Um, uh, that Studio I, audience. I've, I've listened to uh, talks that I missed, including talks by my own students, which I embarrassingly missed. Um, and, and, and so that is, that's just really good. And it's, not, it's a symposia and it's a technical session. So, so good, uh, good work, IAFP, for a great conference and for, and for helping people uh, 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 watch and listen to stuff uh, uh, after the fact. Well done. Yeah, it's. I, I agree. I think that's a. It's a huge thing, and it's something that I know. I, you know, maybe this is the third year that this is this has happened. Or the first year was just some select talks, uh, and then uh, it's been very useful to to go back uh, in the past and say, oh, I know someone said something there, and now I can see the the entire thing, and it's uh, it's quite yeah. It, I, 
I don't know if other other organizations do it, but I do think it's quite remarkable. Well, and I know too. We were I think we were talking about in the pre-show um, uh, the app, the IAFP app, and how great it is. And, and it's, again, it wasn't always great, and it's really great now. And I heard uh, from somebody at this meeting uh, how much it was better uh, than another professional society that mem many of us are members are that also starts with the letter I. Um, so so yay for I, and also probably has an F in it somewhere. So uh, IAFP uh, uh, props uh, to you for for having a great app and, and putting on a great meeting. Oh yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the crowd, the, li the live crowd goes wild. Yeah, the the applause sign just went on. So, Dom, what uh, what else what else you got for you? I've I've exhausted my list of uh, of things that I wanted to talk about, and we're an hour well, and a half into the podcast. Well, and here's the thing: I just gave you uh, my Pellegrino that I drank most of, and yeah. because I drank most of it, uh, I I need to excuse myself here. So it's probably an opportune time uh, <laughs> opportune time to end the podcast, Ben. All right. Well, cool. Brian Brian came back over, so I think he wants to say something before I'm we go. A little discouraged though, because you wouldn't let me help you open the Pellegrino after you put your mouth on it. But now Ben gets to drink from it. So what does that say about me? It says that you can drink from it too, if that's your if that's your thing, man. If that, if that, that's what yeah, makes you, you happy. Go to. for I it. I mean, it's uh, yeah, we're uh, see, we're it's a fan. It's like a family meal now. Here's, here, but here, here's the thing, Ben. Ben was in dire need of screwing up the podcast, right? I, I'm looking out for your public health, but quite honestly, when it comes to the podcast, I'm willing to sacrifice Ben. Yeah. I think that's I think that's the bottom line. That's it's probably a good, it's a good way to good that's way good, to go. Good call, good call. Yeah. And shout out to my kids. That's the Fitbit guy right there, Don. <laughs> Hi, Brian's kids. <laughs> um, well, thanks thanks a lot uh, for uh, joining us, uh, Chip, Alita, Brian. Thanks for coming to hang out. This is really Woo! fun. Yeah! I hope you I hope you enjoyed it, enjoyed it. And it was and we didn't make eye contact like hardly at all. So it's, it's just totally like weird. yeah, it's just like a normal podcast. And I just want to point out for the listeners that uh, that Chip and Brian applauded loudly, and uh, and our, our polite non television watching guest <laughs> just waved quietly yeah. and nodded her head. So so props to you for knowing how to behave on a podcast. I yeah, yeah, good, good. Okay, excellent, good. Well, I think that's uh, that's a show. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. We're still recording because we have to do the after dark. Yeah, we're still recording, of course. IFP after, so after dark. Yeah.
We just talked now for a little so bit. When, we have to figure so out when, when we... So when are we going to do the next one? <laughs> yeah. Let's look. Is that, this is what we really do. This. What we do. Uh, I know. I know. Yeah, yeah. Wait, can we talk about the after dark that was at the meeting? Like, what was happening after dark? Oh, like we could. AFP yeah, we could. Right? Yeah, like yeah, IFP. Oh, I like what you. I like what you're doing. I okay. So I'm flying to. I'm flying to Minneapolis actually, uh, or flying from Minneapolis on Wednesday the 17th. So I can't do it then, but I could do it eight, Thursday the 18th. Wait, wait. Somebody yeah. would be there to help. I, it's true. It's true. <laughs> wide open. I okay. Yeah. Same thing. Thursday the 18th. Wide open. What time? Uh, 10. 10 seems sure. to be a good sweet spot for us. Yeah, I'm coming. Right, I'll be so in Minneapolis for a night. When you write this in your calendar, remember that it is uh, oh, 10 a.m. Eastern. I, oh yeah, so I'm good because I haven't changed. I don't change my computer when I okay. move when I go anywhere. I know that's fascinating for those who are listening yeah, well, to After well, Dark. I, I am I am putting it down as uh, nine o'clock, but I do change the time zones. But also, what I've discovered a real helpful thing to do is to put in plain text somewhere the actual time. So I have written FST. Uh, and then dash, and then 10 a.m. Eastern. So that when I look at it, doing that too. Yeah, that's too. That's, uh, look at you. you. Know, I'm doing that's the same a, thing. That's what you call a life hack. There's a life hack life right hack. there. I've got that from Life Hacker. Um, hey, so everybody going to the banquet? Going to the banquet. Dri oh, you're driving. No, wait, how far? How long is it? Okay, that's not too bad. Yeah. We'll miss you at the banquet. We will. And you're, but you're flying out, so you're missing the banquet. Our flight's at seven. So oh yeah. There's no banquet time though. And your flight's at 7 too? Six. Six. Oh my gosh. Why, why is it people don't go to the banquet? I want to know this. This is important. This is important after dark discussion. I'm going to step up to the microphone. Brian, you why, just scared. Brian's why, not sure how to answer this. Why don't people go to the banquet? Brian. That's Brian the, says yes. it's not entertaining. True, true. Uh, ding, ding, think, ding, ding. I think uh, we need to we need to let uh, our BizCard Rodeo colleagues uh, let Brian in on the BizCard Rodeo next time because he yeah. doesn't think the banquet is entertaining. Do you know what the BizCard Rodeo is? All right, so to get so it's a private it's oh. a private exclusive only group. Yeah, but which will for the listeners of After Dark they'll know about it now. Um, oh shoot. We'll okay. have to, we'll have to take this out. We'll no, no, this we'll leave out. this. We're gonna leave this in. <laughs> leave it in. And this is the this is the Easter egg for listening to After Dark. Um, so for, to get through the banquet a few years ago, actually it started at Ivan Park and Lecture, we decided we would have a game on how many business cards that we could collect throughout the meeting. And then at the, during the banquet, we would bring those business cards. But it's not just any game, it's like one point for every business card. There are point, there's a whole point system. Like, let me, let me pull up some things here. Yeah, and I will say, I will add, too, that the rules are, a fresh set of rules are every developed year. every year by a certain anonymous person who has been a guest on the podcast. Yes. And the person that wins every year is another anonymous person who has also been a guest on the podcast. So Yes, and um, I think it will be no question. Uh, let me... There. I, will. I was stalling, Ben. I was stalling. It's like Pokemon, yeah. Some cards are worth Co Gotta collect yeah. them all, yeah. Gotta, yeah. Um, and so... It does. So let me let me give you just. I can't read all of them because some of them are not appropriate yeah. uh, for podcasts. But um, so each business card is one point. Bonus twenty points for any of the following: QR code, mascot on the card, photograph of the card holder. Yeah. <laughs> See, yeah. creed, vision, or something in quotes. Odd shapes, curves, square, corners that are cut out. Um, <laughs> yep. Perfect. Thank you. Exactly. Uh, something that we refer to as stupid materials, like <laughs> metal, plastic, a magnet, 
vertical orientation, gold or silver foil, check marks, uh, printed at home. <laughs> <laughs> Let the record show yep. Brian is raising yep. his hand. Also, something is crossed out. There's always... <laughs> <it's just> like, <laughs> yeah. It really should, yeah. A handwritten note, uh, one called Eat Local, which is a St. Louis address. Um, you get a bonus 100 points if you have at least one card in each of the 13 above categories uh, that a card holder draws a picture or a graphic on the back of the card. So, so the other thing is you can't, like, this business card rodeo is totally, like, no one knows. You can't tell you can't someone, someone yeah. hey, I'm in a business card rodeo yeah. competition. Can I have your Please, card? Yeah, exactly. draw something exactly. on the back. Like, it has to be. So um, we have another bonus 200 cards or points for global domination, which is every continent but Antarctica represented in the collection. No one's ever done that. Like, that, that is, yeah, it's never been done. And it's hard because, so, you know, you've got to, you, Africa and Asia are always a little bit tough to, to get. Um, subtract. You, you know, you know where I, you could get those cards. You could go to the affiliate meetings for the African affiliate and the Asian affiliate. I'm just, I'm just putting that it's out a, there as a, as, a, as a pro tip. Again, a special bonus Life for hacker. listening, listening to the After Dark. Life, like, 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 he's played that card before. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, so you lose ten points for every card that comes from a Canadian, <laughs> which is good. And then, and then there's like a specific person's name who I can't read out. So we have one one person who's been identified as if we get their card, you lose ten points. Um, oh, come on, is it, what, it's, what, it's not you. It's not you. No, no. It's uh, we. Just, yeah. Um, so rules are all cards must be collected by you personally. Can't use graduate students or anyone else to collect your cards because a certain individual who's won once did that. Uh, there are no teams or sharing cards. You can't pick through the trash. It starts at the opening session and ends with the closing uh, reception. What you you cannot pick through the trash, but I want everyone to know, this is another pro tip, you can collect business cards that are sitting on a table. You can. So you, you may. can walk yep. through the expo, you can collect business cards, you can, you can so, so again, I just want to share these tips because I think it's really unfair that the person that wins every year wins. And so yeah, I want to uh, share these pro that's, tips. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good, good point. So, um, that's good. Thank you, so Don. Who wins every year? Uh, Tell you off the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, it's an after, after dark. Uh, so... That, so anyway, this happens, and that's how we get through the banquet, is we like have all of our uh, cards out on the table, and we do it. Did now, you and, 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 oh, yeah. And, and I want to yeah. I I I say, every, I'm going to play every year. For clarification, how we get through the banquet, banquet Ben is talking about himself. Because yes. the way that I got through the banquet for the last five years is <laughs> I was at the head table trying to have a banquet where we give awards. Pounding the table. Yeah, but also, let, hang on, let's, let the record show that you were uh, sitting at the head table collecting awards or giving awards, whatever you're doing with awards. And as we tweeted or texted you all the progress, and he texted back. So well, was, yeah. he's like, I, yeah. And I only think I got uh, distracted uh, from doing my important business uh, with IAP once. What, exactly. So. Um, I have two cards this year that are not on the, uh, like, not special cards. One that is fully in Cyrillic. Nice. <laughs> which is awesome. I believe and, there's also a Braille card. Yeah, and the Braille. I got a card in Braille. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, they're going in, in next year. We didn't even know that they existed. So those, so, so those uh, happen. Um, and uh, one of the participants who was at karaoke last night received five business cards at karaoke, including a handwritten business card. It's amazing. Boom. So anyway, there, boom. Mic drop.
Um, so that's uh, that's that's what we do. A little bit of BizCard Rodeo. Um, I think we should. Uh, I think it's a show. I think we should end, end it here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening. See you next year.